Hello everyone, I want to talk about the fact about why I am non-churched, meaning I feel as if I was never a part of the church buildings. That's what I mean when I say church in this case. I want to talk about the fact about why I am de-church, meaning yes, physically I was in church buildings, but I'm not anymore. And I want to talk about the fact about why I feel why I am unchurched, meaning I am a person that didn't always feel connected to church buildings. Um, I want to tell you in this way why. So they are the seven deadly sins. And I'm not going to read everything in this Wikipedia article, but I'll read to you what needs to be read out. So the seven deadly sins, also known as the capital vices or cardinal sins, is a grouping and classification of vices within Christian teachings. Although they are not directly mentioned in the Bible, they are parallels with the seven things God is said to hate in the book of Proverbs. Behaviors or habits are classified under this category if they directly give rise to other immoralities. According to the standard list, they are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth, which are contrary to the seven capital virtues. Um, Sad to say, the seven deadly sins are the biggest reasons why... the church buildings obliterated themselves, obliterate themselves and will obliterate themselves. So the biggest reasons why I'm not in church buildings anymore is because the seven deadly sins is the number one problem in the church in terms of the buildings. Obviously, this this does not apply to every Christian. This does not apply to every church goer. And this does not apply to every ministry participant. But there's so many people within the four walls that are guilty of all these seven sins. So let me read out to you what they are but explain it in a way that you can understand so when I talk about lust I'm talking about unethical lust deviancy and perversion that type of lust not the typical I'm human and other humans tickle my fancy biologically speaking I'm talking about being hypocritical. Think about that. So in this context, lust or luxury, Latin luxuria, meaning carnal, is intense longing. So the church has a lust problem. The church, when I say the church has a lust problem, I mean the church has an unethical lust problem. The type that can be criminal, um that can be 
of wickedness. It's like you put on airs about how holy you are, but behind the scenes, behind closed doors, you are demonic, meaning vile and foul to yourself and to others. So, it is usually thought of as an intense or unbridled sexual desire which may lead to unethical fornication instead of the ethical fornication and including adultery, which is huge in the church. Rape, bestiality, necrophilia, incest, and other sinful and sexual acts. Think about the sex crimes. Think about sexual turncoats, if you will. Oftentimes, however, it could also mean other forms of unbridled desire, such as for money or power. Henry Edward Manning explains that the impurity of lust transforms one into a slave of the devil. So... I'm seeing these things in church. Um, Dante defined lust as the disordered love for individuals. There's no healthy love in in unethical lust, okay? It is generally thought to be the least serious capital sin, as it is an abuse of a faculty that humans share with animals and sins of the flesh are less grievous than spiritual sins. And Dante's Purgatorio, the penitent walks within flames to purge themselves of lustful thoughts and feelings. Unforgiven souls guilty of lust are also eternally blown about in restless, hurricane-like winds, symbolic of their own lack of self-control of their lustful passions in earthly life and as shown in Dante's Inferno. So, I'm seeing church people a lot of them not all of them like I said they allow themselves and others to be destroyed by the self-destructive behavior called unethical lust, unethical luxury, unethical intense longing and unethical carnality So this is not fire and brimstone in a typical way. However, this is a dire warning to people within the four walls that because of your moral laxness and careless living, people like me who wanted the church to bless me and people like me, y'all pharisaical behaviors are driving us away from the church buildings. Okay, so gluttony. Gluttony is the second sec gluttony is the second seven deadly sin that is causing church buildings to obliterate to obliterate themselves. 
Gluttony, Latin gula, is the overindulgence and overconsumption of anything to the point of waste. The word derives from the Latin glutter, meaning to gulp down or swallow. One reason for its condemnation is that gorging the prosperous may leave the needy hungry. So there is danger in the plenty if you're not careful. And the lie of scarcity does happen when we decide to activate our addictive personalities. So all this want, gain, and getting has been Christianized by those who say they're believers in North America. So the church has Christianized lust and the church has Christianized gluttony too. Then it says medieval church leaders such as Thomas Aquinas took a more expansive view of gluttony, arguing that it could also include an obsessive anticipation of meals and overindulgence in delicacies and costly foods. Aquinas also listed five forms of gluttony. Latte, eating too expensively, that happens in the church. Studiosity, eating too daintily, that happens in the church. Nemes, nemes, eating too much, that, ha- that happens in the church. Pray, properer, eating too soon, that happens in the church. Ardenter, eating too eagerly, that happens in the church. Um, Ardenter is often considered the most serious of these since it's a passion for a mere earthly pleasure which can make the committer eat impulsively or even reduce the goals of life to mere eating and drinking. For example, Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage with a profane person who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright and later stated that he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So all that means to me is that in church, a lot of people lack they lack self-regulation. And they're so caught up in keeping up with the Joneses but they're not keeping up with Jesus, which is what they're supposed to be doing. So I'm noticing in church that a lot of people have not just addictive personalities, but they have extremist personalities because their black and white thinking is that cut and dry. So... I noticed that um, in the church, there's physical lust, spiritual lust, physical gluttony, and spiritual gluttony. Next, greed. Um, The church has a greed problem. Um, Greed, Latin, averitia, 
also known as avarice, cupidity, or covetousness, which is a no-no according to the Ten Commandments, is a sin of desire like lust and gluttony. However, greed as seen by the church is applied to an artificial, rapacious desire as well as the pursuit of material possessions. So think about the Republican Party when I say this. A lot of church people have Christianized the GOP reckless rhetoric of pull yourself by the bootstraps. What if I'm so poor that I'm naked and I have no clothes? I, I'm so poor, I, I can't even afford socks. I can't even afford underwear. I can't even afford cheap boots. Because in life, we have to share the pie. None of us can eat too much of the pie and none of us can eat too little of the pie. We have to eat the right amount of the pies that life has to offer. And then it says, Thomas Aquinas wrote, Greed is a sin against God, just as all mortal sins, in as much as man condemns things eternal for the sake of temporal things. Now, he said man because this is way before gender pronouns were thought of to be honored. People tended to speak in a heteronormative language back then. That's why I said that. That, That's why I'm quoting what he said, actually. Then it says, in Dante's purgatory, the penitents are bound and laid face down on the ground for having concentrated excessively on earthly thoughts. I see that in the church. I really do. I see the artificial rapacious desires as well as the pursuit of material possessions. I see all that in the church. I really, really do. Um, hoarding of materials or objects. I see that in the church. Theft and robbery, especially by means of violence, trigger manipulation of authority, I see all that in the church, are all actions that may be inspired by greed, which is sadly and tragically true for the church. Such misdeeds can include simony, where one attempts to purchase or sell sacraments, including holy orders and therefore positions of authority in the church hierarchy. Mm see that in church so much so much in the words of Henry Edward Avarice plunges a man deep into the mire of this world so that he makes it to be his God the church has gained the whole world and lost its soul or you could say the church has gained the whole universe and lost its soul lost its heart and lost its mind and lost its memories of Jesus. As defined outside Christian writings, greed is an inordinate desire to acquire or possess more than one needs, especially with respect to material wealth, like pride, it could lead to evil. So I noticed that in church, the prosperity, gospel addiction, um, I see the that which is the Christianized version of the American dream, even though they fail to live by heaven's dream. They don't want God. They want God's heaven. 
they work harder or smarter for their earthly employers and their heavenly employers. And be careful what you tell God. Basically what they're saying to God is, the secular world takes care of my every, my every need and not you, the Holy Trinity. I depend on the culture, but I absolutely do not depend on you. That's what they're saying to God. And a lot of them, the only book they read is the Bible, which means they suck as a Christian because you're supposed to read other books. The Bible doesn't have all the answers you're looking for when it comes to life. Those other books will give you the answers the Bible is not giving you. So, I see the all about the Benjamin's baby culture in church. I see the living large culture in church. The quick minute anointings and appointings. I see the expensive seeds and sowing offerings. They talk about kingdom economy, but they absolutely reject it. They are in favor of capitalistic North American economy because they love corporate Rome, which is the Roman Empire, which assassinated Jesus, by the way. And they should start saying that Jesus was assassinated when they talk to amongst each other and when they evangelize the non-Christians. So those are the issues... Those are some of the set of issues that are that are um, causing the church buildings to just die all over the place. So sloth. So before I get to sloth, there's physical greed, then there's spiritual greed. Sloth, sloth, Latin tristitia or sedia. Without care, refers to a peculiar jumble of notions dating from antiquity, including mental, spiritual, pathological, and physical states. Um, it may be defined as absence of interest or habitual disinclination to exertion. So what does... Um Exertion mean? <laughs> Exertion means struggle, attempt, endeavor, or effort. In other words, sloth means laziness. Um... In his Summa Theologica, St. Thomas Aquinas defines sloth as sorrow but spiritual good, in quotations. The scope of sloth is wide. Spiritually, ascetia first referred to an affliction attending religious persons, especially monks, where they became indifferent to their duties and obligations to God. In other words, they stopped being about God, in actuality, they're never about God in the first place. They decided to be unfeeling, uncaring, and unloving towards God. They decided to ignore God. 
Mentally, acedia has a number of distinctive components. The most important of these is effectlessness. A lack of any feeling about self or other, a mind state that gives rise to boredom, rancor, apathy, and a passive, inert, or sluggish mentation. In other words, they become uh, stony-hearted or hard-hearted, if you will. Um, they became, it's the best way to put this, they became cold-hearted and cold-blooded. Then it says, physically, acedia is fundamentally associated with, an, with a cessation with a cessation of motion and an indifference to work, it finds expression in low. It, it finds. Let me slow it down. Physically, acedia is fundamentally associated with a cessation of motion and an indifference to work. It finds expression in laziness, idleness, and indolence. You know those busybodies, those nosy people. They tend to be people without work ethic. That's what that means. Sloth includes ceasing to utilize seven gifts of grace given by the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord. Such disregard may lead to the slowing of spiritual progress towards eternal life, the neglect of manifold duties of charity towards the neighbor, and animosity towards those who love God. So... The church hypocrites itself. It's hypocritical against itself. And sad to say, the church rejects wisdom. The church rejects understanding. The church rejects knowledge. The church rejects counsel. The church pretends to be of piety. The church pretends to be a fortitude, and the church pretends to have the fear of the Lord. The church rejects the Holy Spirit. The church rejects Jesus, and the church rejects God. And the church pretends to value all the traditional biblical beliefs. Those were words all at the top of my head. Um, Sloth has also been defined as a failure to do things that one should do. By this definition, evil exists when quote-unquote good people fail to act. That means they're never truly good when you think about it, now are they? Edmund Burke, 1729-1797, wrote in Present Discontents, um, chapter 2.78, no man who is not inflamed by vainglory into enthusiasm can flatter himself that his single, unsupported, desultory, unsystematic endeavors are of power to defeat the subtle designs and united cabals of ambitious citizens. When bad men combine the good must associate, else they will fall one by one in unpitied sacrifice and a contemptible struggle. Um, the church is at war with itself so the church engages in self-warfare unlike the other seven deadly sins which are sins of committing immorality sloth is a sin of omitting responsibilities 
something the church is good at. It may arise from any of the other capital vices. For example, a son may omit his duty to his father through anger. The state and habit of sloth is a mortal sin, while the habit of the soul tending towards the last mortal state of sloth is not mortal in and of itself except under certain circumstances. I think about how, within this case, I was so quiet for a moment right now because um, sometimes I reminisce as I read or just talk to y'all about what I feel and I felt a sense of heaviness in my heart because this confirms all my childhood feelings of not feeling that they were feeling positive about me. Um, The church chose to not give me unconditional love. The church chose not to give me sacrificial love. The church chose not to give me agape love. And the church chose not to give me brotherly love. And the church chose not to give me family love. And the church chose not to give me compassionate love. The church chose not to give me companionate love either. Um, let's get to wrath. Wrath can be defined as uncontrolled feelings of anger, rage, and even hatred. We're talking about unethical anger, unethical wrath, and unethical hatred. So the church has the self-destructive behavior of wrath. Um, the church is suffering from spiritual wrath and physical wrath in terms of mishandling those legitimate emotions. Wrath often reveals itself in the wish to seek vengeance. The type of vengeance is not about community, it's all about self. In its purest form, wrath presents with injury, violence, and hate that may provoke feuds that can go on for centuries. Wrath may persist long after the person who did another grievous wrong dies. Feelings of wrath can manifest in different ways, including impatience. Church got that. Hateful misanthropy. Church got that. Revenge. Church got that. And self-drug behavior such as drug abuse or suicide. The church has those things. According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the neutral act of anger becomes the sin of wrath when it is directed against an innocent person, when it is unduly strong or long-lasting, even when it desires excessive punishment. 
If anger reaches the point of a deliberate desire to kill or seriously wound a neighbor, it is gravely against charity as a mortal sin, CCC 2302. Hatred is the sin of desiring that someone else may suffer misfortune or evil as a mortal sin when one desires grave harm, CCC 2302-03. I notice that the church tends to feel those feelings towards atheists, agnostics, transgendered persons, gay persons, queer persons, sex workers, people with disabilities, and the refugees of our day. Many others, many other types of people, but those are the ones I'm saying off the top of my head. People feel anger when they sense that they or someone they care about has been offended, when they are certain about the nature and cause of the angering event, when they are certain someone else is responsible, when they feel they can still influence the situation or cope with it. In her introduction to Purgatory, Dorothy L. Sayers describes wrath as love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. In accordance with Henry Edward, angry people are slaves to themselves. So the church's wrath is sadly burning hot against those who have endured adult abuse and child abuse. And the church's wrath is burning hot on the loved ones of those who've committed suicide. When people ask the question, people are committing suicide now more than ever. How come Jesus hasn't come back? The church's wrath burns hot on those people by committing the spiritual crimes against God in the forms of spiritualizing, spiritual bypassing, and gaslighting. Uh, Now let's get to um, another one. Uh, The church is suffering from vanity, also known as the church is the church has spiritual vainglory and physical vainglory, and the church has spiritual vanity and physical vanity. Vainglory, Latin vana gloria, is unjustified boasting. Rope Gregory viewed as a former prize when he folded. Vainglory into pride for his listing of sins. According to Aquinas, it is the progenitor of envy. The Latin term gloria roughly means boasting, although its English cognate glory has come to have an exclusively positive meaning. Historically, the term vain roughly meant futile, a meaning retained in the modern expression in vain, but had come to have the strong narcissistic undertones by the 14th century, which it still retains today. As a result of these semantic changes. Vainglory has become a rarely used word in itself and is now commonly interpreted as referring to vanity in its modern narcissistic sense. So that's what I'm seeing in the church. I'm seeing a lot of boasting, a lot of futility, 
a lot of narcissistic traits, um, a lot of sociopathic traits, a lot of psychopathic traits, a lot of A lot of personality disorder traits, and again, a lot of psychopathic, sociopathic traits. Um, the church is about its glory instead of God's glory. Um, the church is, so there's, so let's look up vanity. Vanity is the excessive, vanity is the excessive belief and one's own abilities or attractiveness to others. Prior to the 14th century, it does not have such narcissistic undertones and merely meant futility. The related term vainglory is now often seen as an archaic synonym for vanity, but originally meant considering one's own capabilities and that God's help is not needed. That's the church. Unjustified boasting, although glory is now seen as having a predominantly positive meaning, in Latin term from which it derives Gloria roughly means boasting was often used as negative criticism. The church hates constructive criticism. They think constructive criticism means persecution. So they think that if you're trying to help them grow in God, that's negative criticism in their vainglory minds, in their vanity hearts too. So, let's talk about ascetia. Um, ascetia, Latin, ascetia without care from Greek, is neglect to take care of something that one should do. So, for example, the church should be taking care of people who have endured physical abuse and sexual abuse, but oftentimes they take care of the victimizers and they shun the victims. Taking care in this case means we defend and protect the victimizers, but you victims, y'all are all on y'all own. Y'all gotta protect yourselves because we're not gonna help you. It is translated to apathetic listlessness. Depression without joy is related to melancholy. A CID describes the behavior of melancholy suggests the emotion producing it. An early Christian thought the lack of joy was regarded as a willful refusal to enjoy the goodness of God, that's the church. By contrast, apathy is considered a refusal to help others in times of need, that's the church. Asedia is a negative form of the Greek term kadia, which has a more restricted usage. Kadia refers specifically to spousal love and respect for the dead. Um, the high divorce rate in the church shows a lack of spousal love. And respect for the dead, hmm, church doesn't have that because there are people who are victims of racism who die, and the church has not done all that it could to honor those people, including their ancestors, who were forced to be victims of racism themselves. The positive term Kadia thus indicate love for one's family even through death. What about the families of those who were victims of church embezzlement? Where's the love for them? 
It also indicates love for those who sight one's immediate family, specifically form a new family, one's beloved. The church has a warped view of family because they force victimizers and victims to hug it out, shake hands, and act as if that person wasn't sexually harassed in the first place. Mm. Seen in this way, Asedia indicates a rejection of familial love. Nonetheless, the meaning of Asedia is far more broad, signifying a difference to everything one experiences. The church has an indifference problem. If you are considered a midget or a dwarf by society, the church doesn't have any physical um, support that can help with having you have the right accommodations in the pews, in the pulpits, in the choir loft. That's for sure. Pope Gregory combined this with Tristitia into sloth for his list. When Thomas Aquinas described a setting in his interpretation of the list, he described it as an uneasiness of the mind, being a progenitor for lesser sins such as restlessness and instability. Dante refined this definition further, describing Asedi as the failure to love God with all one's heart, that's the church, the failure to love God with all one's mind, that's the church, the failure to love God with all one's soul, that's the church, and the failure to love God with all one's strength, that's the church. To him, it was the middle sin, the only one characterized by an absence or, unsu- or insufficiency of love, that's the church. Sadia is currently defined in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as spiritual sloth, believing spiritual tasks to be too difficult. So useless excuses is what the church does. In the 4th century, Christian monks believed that Asedia was primarily caused by a state of melancholia that caused spiritual detachment instead of laziness. Well, the church's spiritual detachment is one of the reasons why people are leaving and their laziness the church's laziness is attached to its spiritual detachment from God so the church has spiritual ascetia and physical ascetia and has ascetia as one of its self-destructive behaviors um so let me see here um Okay. Whew. Okay, so this is what's happening in the church. Pride, also known as hubris from ancient Greek or futility, is considered the original worst of the seven deadly sins on almost every list and most demonic. It's also thought to be the source of the other capital sins. Pride is the opposite of humility. Yeah, the church is extremely arrogant. Willfully arrogant. And that's why the church is, is willfully ignorant. And just ignorant. Um, pride is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness. Putting one's own desires, urges, wants, and wins for the welfare of others. That's what the church is good at. And I take it a step further. According to God... 
Pride is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness, putting one's own desires, urges wants, and wants for the welfare of God, something the church does. I take it even a step further than that. Pride is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness, putting one's own desires, urges wants, and wants before the welfare of the least of these, something the church is really good at. Dante's definition of pride was love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbor. The church is good at that. And it's love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbor that's different than them. And if that neighbor is Jesus, they have hatred and contempt for him. For those who are the least of these included. Um, let's see. In more pathological cases, is it an irrational belief that one is essentially better, superior, more important than others? Especially the least of these, and especially God. Despising their merits, including God's merits in the least of these, and excessively admiring self as godlike at the expense of God in the least of these, refusing to acknowledge one's limits, faults, or wrongs. Even though God is trying to help them, they won't let God help them. Even though the least of these is trying to help them, they won't let the least of these help them. Alexander Pope, in an essay on criticism, line 203, when the weak heed what the weak had with strongest bias rules is pride the never failing vice of fools Mm. so the church is biased weak and it's got fools in it um let me keep going I'm taking my time with this this is so important to me Pride has been labeled the father of all sins and has been deemed the devil's most essential trait. Even though you can't blame the devil for all of your um, character defects and miserable failures, that's for sure. And it says... um, You know, I'm just getting to the point of what I'm seeing in church. I'm seeing spiritual pride and physical pride, and pride is one of their self-destructive behaviors. Um, I like to read to get to the point. Um, I don't just read to read. Once I feel like, you know what, it's been covered clearly, it doesn't need to be kept up in terms of reading more because then it becomes redundant and then it becomes insulting because that's treating the listeners of the podcast like they're stupid and I never do that. So the church rejects chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, kindness, patience, and humility, which are the seven capital virtues. The church rejects the three, the church rejects the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. 
And the church rejects the four cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Let me make sure I covered everything. Um, I think about the fact that um, the church suffers from envy. Envy, invidia is characterized by insatiable desire like greed and lust. It can be described as a sad or resentful covetousness towards the traits or possessions of someone else. It arises from vainglory and serves a person from their neighbors. Um, malicious envy is similar to jealousy in that they both feel discontent towards someone's traits, status, abilities, or rewards. A difference is that the envious also desire the entity and coveted. So I've seen that in church where they want to have other people's Big Willie-style lifestyles. Yachts, mansions, luxurious vehicles, fashion designer name brand clothing, the jewelry, the muckety-muck personal and professional relationships. And the Hollywood existence. And the U.S. Senate, U.S. House of Representatives, Congress connections. I've seen that in church. I really have. And, um... I just had to talk about these things. So I want to thank you kindly for listening to me. Obviously, there's more. So... So the church rejects the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. The church rejects love, God's love. The church rejects joy, God's joy. The church rejects peace, God's peace. The church rejects patience, God's patience. The church rejects kindness, God's kindness. The church rejects goodness, God's goodness. The church rejects faithfulness, God's faithfulness. The church rejects gentleness, God's gentleness, and the church rejects self-control, God's self-control. So, to be honest, the, the, ch- the church is 
obliterating itself because it has all the works of the flesh. Within the, within the four walls, the church is experiencing sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, en- enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, drug addictions, Nicotine addiction in the form of tobacco smoking products, orgies, hiding one's sexual orientations and gender identities and things like these. These are all happening in the church and they claim to be traditional in terms of biblical views. And the church rejects charity, God's charity. Um, The church rejects modesty, God's modesty. And there you have it. Um, you have all the reasons for why I'm not in church, plus these other reasons. None of the Bibles read exactly the same. You have Bibles that are hundreds of years old. And when I read their original handwritten copies of what I saw misspellings and grammatical errors. Um, I'm talking about Bibles that were handwritten hundreds of years ago. And I want to quote Bart Ehrman um, because what he said is exactly how I feel. Um, He said... I did my very best to hold on to my faith that the Bible was the inspired word of God with no mistakes, and that lasted for about two years. Mine was much longer than that, actually. Then Bart says, I realized that at the time we had over 5,000 manuscripts in the New Testament, and no two of them are exactly alike. The scribes were changing them, sometimes in big ways, but lots of times in little ways. And it finally occurred to me that if I really thought that God had inspired this text, if he went to the trouble of inspiring the text, why didn't he go to the trouble of preserving the text? Why did he allow scribes to change it? And during such studies at Princeton University, however, he became convinced that there are contradictions and discrepancies in the, in the biblical manuscripts that cannot be harmonized or reconciled. So... I feel all those feelings too. And I doubt, I strongly doubt that God had inspired every wording of the Bible. And I strongly doubt that God completely protected its text from all error. Um, I know what I'm saying is scary, but I got to get these doubts out so I can be free. But, um,.
There's more. In church, I noticed this. The word homosexual was never in the Bible. I like that liberal Christians believe that God hates people who use religion to justify their own bigotry. A few verses in the Bible have been instrumental in propagating modern homophobia, but the words gay or homosexual or lesbian, bisexual, or transgender were never actually in the Bible until 1946 when an American Bible company mistranslated a few ancient Greek words. This mistake became foundational for the anti-LGBTQI plus culture that still exists today. In the Bible's original text, the ancient Greek words are so arsenokoiatai and malakoi are used. Today, researchers agree these words loosely translate to sexual pervert. But in 1946, the Revised Standard Version, RSV, Bible Committee voted to translate the words homosexual, igniting an anti-LGBTQI plus movement among American conservative Christians in quotations. In 1959, a young gay theology student named David noticed the word homosexual in the RSV Bible and was convinced it was an error. He wrote a letter to the RSV translation team pointing out the catastrophic implications that mistranslating perfect homosexual could have. Dr. Luther Wagel, the dean of Yale Divinity School and the head of the RSV translation committee, wrote back to David he admitted their mistake and committed to fixing it. The revised Bible, which changed homosexual to sexual purpose, was published in 1971, but the damage had been done. In the 25 years between the first publication and the revision, many other translators had applied to RSV's use of homosexual to their interpretations. Today, more than 45,000 churches preach that homosexuality is sin, but it didn't have to be this way and still doesn't, and I wholeheartedly agree. The words gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and drag queen and drag king are nowhere to be found in the Bible. Before you use religion as a crush to uphold your bigotry, just know that neither God nor Jesus want anything to do with hate. Walking the bridgeless canyon, repairing the, bre- the breach between the church and LGBTQ plus community by Kathy Balda. Homosexuality, not a sin, not a sickness, part two. What the Bible does and does not say by Reverend Elder Don Eastman, Los Angeles Universal Fellowship Press, 1946 The Movie, 1946TheMovie.com. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Human rights campaign, HRC.org. Mmm. Mmm, 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 mmm. Lauren Bobert says, take your children to church, not drag bars. Matt XIV says, I would feel safer leaving my child with a drag queen than any member of the clergy. Woo! I don't blame Matt at all.
Conservatives have created an alert system to warn people about upcoming drag shows. What if we spammed it with the names of churches where pastors have been charged with child abuse this year? The Texas Family Project, an anti-LGBTQIA plus organization in Austin, has launched Defend Our Kids, a website where civilians can report upcoming drag shows to warn others against the sexualization of children in quotations. If you really want to defend kids and overload their homophobic database, here are 11 Texas churches where pastors have been charged with abusing children this year. Report them instead. Faith Baptist Church, Round Rock, Texas. Pastor David Lloyd Walther was arrested in November for the possession and distribution of child pornography. Champion Forest Baptist Church, Harris County, Texas, student minister Timothy Jeltima pleaded guilty in November to four charges of online sexual abuse of a minor. Chai Alpha Campus Ministries, Corpus Christi, Texas. Pastor William Robinson was charged in July with continuous sexual abuse of a child. First Assembly of God, Vernon, Texas. Minister Brian Pounds, 46, was charged with sexual assault of a child and delivery of controlled substance meth to a 15-year-old girl. Rolling Brook Fellowship, Baytown, Texas, Pastor Lawrence Hopkins, 55, was charged in June with online solicitation of a minor. Inspiration Church, Miss Quiet, Texas. Youth Pastor Connor Penny was arrested in April on three counts of sexual abuse of a child. Er Living Way Church, Conroe, Texas. Church worship leader Jonathan Ryan Enzi was convicted in March of indecency with a child and online solicitation of a minor. When the family of the victim, a teenage girl, approached the church's lead pastor, Randy Enzi, who was also the abuser's father, he attempted to cover up the situation after a court trial. Jonathan Enzi was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Randy Enzi is still working at Living Way Church, according to the church's website. Bible Baptist Church, Odessa, Texas. Pastor Aaron Duane Shipman, S-H-I-P-M-A-N, 44, was charged in January with assaulting a teenage girl beginning when she was 16. Restoration Outreach Christian Church, Houston, Texas. Pastor Conrad Estrada Valdez, 61, was convicted in January of sexual assault of a 15-year-old girl. Denton Bible Church, Denton, Texas. In October, Denton Bible Church revealed that youth pastor Robert Shiflett had sexually abused 14 girls at two different churches. Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, the world's largest Baptist denomination with over 2,500 churches in Texas, released a report in May that accused 700 Southern Baptist Convention pastors of sexual abuse. Wow, but they want, but these sexual abusers want to say, is your town hosting a drug show? Report it now. Mmm, 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 mmm. Wow. And this happens in the Bible Belt. Now, Bible Belt can also mean within the deep American South, there's actual beatings of children that they call whoopings and spankings and especially in red states it's just it's, it happens the most in red states 
And I noticed that it's a, in their mind, it's okay to sexually sin as long as you're heterosexual and cisgender. But they want to act like we're upholding biblical values. And it gets worse. Um, These are the same people that commit adultery and get divorces and remarriages when it comes to their own marriages. But they want to single out gender and sexual diversity. So as long as you're straight, you get to dictate what sin is and is not. But if you're queer, you can't. This is all... This, they're just modern day Pharisees. That's what they really are. And so... Getting back to the discrepancies, like church like. We have all these Bibles, right? And none of them read the same. When they, when they were handwritten copies of the of hundreds of years ago, and I saw misspellings, grammatical errors, punctuation errors, and what I also saw was. just more inability to get the Bible correct and it's hard for me to say such things it's exactly how I uh, grew up and you have denominations who have um their versions of the Bible you have more books of the Bible in one denomination than the other and I've always found that to be weird and I just find that to be for me highly uh, problematic and I, I don't like it I really really don't um I'm standing behind an incredible sort in the Bible that spans six centuries. Um, I have Bibles from the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, and 1900s. And you know what's crazy? No two of these Bibles reads the same. They all read differently. Now, a long time ago, pre-print and press Bibles were handwritten. And here's a handwritten page from a Bible from over 800 years ago. And when you're copying something, mistakes creep in. Well, what about these Bibles? These Bibles are all done by hand. Also in the sense that each word, each letter is handpicked and put on a row upside down and backwards. Mistakes creep in. One of the most notable mistakes in a Bible translation or printing is the 1631 edition of the King James Bible. It's known as the Wicked Bible. Why? Because in the Ten Commandments it says, Thou shalt commit adultery. Here's what that looks like. 
Now, other errors have crept into over time. The Bible has been printed over 5 billion times. And there are 100 editions of the Bible in English alone. So the question is, which is the most accurate? Well, I'll leave that to the scholars. I'm just approaching this from a printing standpoint. That I have all these Bibles and they all read differently. Now, some of you I know are curious if there's a particular verse you would like me to look up in one of these Bibles that's 500 years old right now. Go to the comment section and put it in there. I'll do the best I can to in a future video. Show you the verse and read it for you. What are you waiting for? Write it down right now. Wow. That was a TikTok video I saw at Moon's Rare Books, all lowercase, no space. And that really stunned me. Just, it gives me more doubts. I cannot help it. And I just have a problem with it. With all of this. Um... For example, you have different Bibles of different sizes, right? So, most Jewish Bibles contain 39 books, but the earliest versions include somewhere between 5 and 22 books. The Ethiopian Bible, which is perhaps the oldest Christian Bible, includes somewhere between 81 to 84 books, depending on different factors. The Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Bible is 73 books, and the Greek Orthodox Bible, without an official number, is somewhat larger, with somewhere between 75 and 79 books. The Syriac Bible also has quite a wide range of different books. And the Protestant Bible, which in some ways American culture prioritizes, has 66 books. 39 of an Old Testament and 27 of a New Testament. Well, I always thought, aren't they both the Old Testament since they're centuries, years of age? Hmm. If one would total all the books in these different collections, there would be a total of around 100 books, far more than 27 books in the Christian New Testament in the range of 5 to 39 books in the Hebrew Bible. Now you fully understand why I practice no religion and no denomination of any religion. Mm -hmm.